Hi, and welcome to Life Stories, a podcast where I talk to memoir writers about their lives and the art of writing memoir. I'm Ron Hogan, and my guest today is Madison Perry. He is the author of Available, a memoir of heartbreak, hookups, love, and brunch. It's just out from Scrivener, and he's in New York from L.A. to talk to us about it. So welcome, Madison. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> Excited to talk about it. The memoir starts with you right in the immediate aftermath of a breakup with what you identify as your your manic pixie dream girl girlfriend. Let's talk a little bit about why that relationship hit the wall that it did and where it left you once it was over. So uh, manic pixie dream girl is a term that you can use for a lot of indie movies, like a character like in 500 Days of Summer or uh, a lot of Cameron Crowe movies, and it's this sort of girl that's this force of nature, and she's fun and exciting. That's what uh, the girl in the book, Kelly, was like. For me, we met, fell in love, and we had a really exciting time together. But what can, I think, happen a lot, and certainly happened to me, is ultimately we weren't super compatible in the long term. We were certainly in love and infatuated with each other and attracted to each other. But about two and a half years in, we were living together, we had a dog together. You know, in retrospect, I think she just fell out of love with me. But at the time, I just couldn't figure out her behavior changed, our relationship changed. And so I spent months trying to figure out how to fix it, believing like I just had to love her more and it would fix everything. And not for one, you know, not for one second thinking about leaving because at the time I was like, love me and you work through everything. Even your girlfriend kind of telling you she doesn't want to be in the relationship anymore. I would just convince her that, oh no, you're wrong. We're compatible. Like we can work this out. And eventually... It stopped working. And you talk about how, you know, the movies always carry that kind of relationship up to a certain point where they always cover the beginning and the, and the groundwork and end on this point of, like, you know, infinite possibility. Yeah. And never really seem to entertain the option that all of those infinite possibilities are going to peter out and, and dwindle down to one, and that one's not going to be happy. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much every romantic movie ends right after they get together, when they're at the peak of their love and infatuation, and everything's great. And uh, sometimes, you know, it takes can take months or years, that feeling starts to wane, and then you're left... Basically having someone who should be a great roommate and great friend, and sometimes the rose-colored glasses fall off as the, the love starts to lessen its intensity. You never see that in the movies. So we got to that point, and then the movie kept going. Our relationship had a very slow fade out instead of that hard exit right after we were in love. Once it did and she was gone, you made a key realization about yourself and about not just your personality. I, I you know, personality is a key part of this. But also about, you know, for lack of a better word, sort of like your dating philosophy. Yeah, I had had several girlfriends at this point. I was 30 uh, when this breakup occurred. I'd had, you know, three or four serious girlfriends before this, but I'd never really casually dated. I'd always just be single, and then I'd meet someone, and then I would date them for like three years, and then we'd break up, and I'd very quickly find someone else to be my girlfriend. Uh, not only was I only being in serious relationships, but I was taking not enough time in between these serious relationships to really heal, learn from it think about what I really wanted in a partner, just sort of the next person I had feelings for, I dove headfirst in. And so I made a pact with myself to be single for a year, to be no one's boyfriend. Um, not necessarily celibate, uh, I did a lot of dating, but I would not commit to anyone. And I tried to be honest with people up front about that's what I was looking for. And some, sometimes the women were okay with that, sometimes not. Uh, and then the other factor was my friend had just gone to Burning Man and he told me about it, and I was like, I'm going to go to Burning Man and have a bunch of weird desert sex, and I need to be single to do with that. So that was kind of my, my marker about 12 months in the future. The dating 
covers a, a huge chunk of the memoir, and we will, of course, discuss that in turn. But circling back to that point where you realized that you needed to go on this path, you talk about how part of this you know, near decade of serial monogamy, pretty much like straight out of high school, you, you, you talk about finding your college girlfriend like pretty much orientation week. Yeah. Uh, and from that point on, it was never more than a few months between relationships. And then you hit 30, and you realize that that serial monogamy is in part rooted in your personality or, or your character as what you call a classic nice guy. Yeah, so the nice guy, uh, which I was, and I, I think a lot of people are these days, because we're, we're raised in a generation now where you're taught to respect women, which is good, um, but sometimes I think we confuse being polite and not hurting people's feelings with being respectful, um, which I often did. First, I was in a relationship that I knew was not going to last forever. I, I just didn't feel like I was in love with this girl. But I stayed with her for like eight months after I came to this realization because I didn't want to hurt her feelings. I just wanted every, you know, my ideal scenario was we would like instantly, at this exact same time, decide we didn't want to be together, shake hands, and walk away from the relationship. But that never happened. And so I sort of learned that if you're emotionally honest, it's never unkind. You have to be okay with someone liking you in the moment because you're hurting their feelings, because you're hurting their heart. But if you're not fully invested in a relationship, that's the kind thing to do is to let them know and to move on. And so you, you see this a lot now, you know, nice guys, they're, they're too polite. They're so nice. Oh, you know, would you mind, would you like to do this? Oh, yeah, I, I'd be happy to do that. It's all these things. And it's just dishonest a lot of times. Because you're basically avoiding confrontation because right. you you don't want the turbulence in your relationship. You, you yeah. want everything to run smooth and even if it means, like, putting up massive denial about what's actually going on. Yeah, and it can work the other way, too. In, in the relationship that starts off the book, I was in denial about uh, this relationship being in a bad place, and I was just trying to fix it instead of actually trying to see, hey, is this something we both are interested in being in? I sort of disregarded that first question and just kept trying to be nicer, be politer, carry more burden. And so you hit that point, you know, your friend had just come back from Burning Man. He said it was really great. And you were like, oh, my God, I've got to do that. But in order to do that, I've got to be single next year. So that's how you decide, okay, I'm going to be single for a year and just go out with women. Right. You know, in a way, you're, of course, in an ideal spot to do that. It's like you're 30, yeah. you're single, no major flaws that I can I can tell. <laughs> you know, I haven't just met you 10 minutes ago. <laughs> they will reveal, they reveal themselves so, about minute 15, yeah. so... So you seem like prime dating material yeah, and are basically going out there into the field. So how do you find those first dates? So the very first date I went on is I went to a big Halloween party in Los Angeles. This was sort of my re-release uh, into the wilds of dating. I, it was a couple months after I got dumped. It seemed perfect because, you know, everyone's at their sluttiest on Halloween. So I went there and I met a girl and we went on four dates and there was absolutely no chemistry, but I was dedicated to dating. So I kept going out with her and then she texted me one day and said, oh, I'm sorry, I met someone else. And I was like, okay, I've got my first casual relationship out of the way. And then I went on OkCupid. Okay which was, now seems ancient, this was like three years ago, but uh, was sort of the hot new dating uh, website at the time. Not even an app, just a website. I started messaging people. It, it worked pretty well. It took a little practice. I had a few foibles in the beginning, but... Yeah, you talk a little bit about you know one of the obstacles or potential speed bumps in this process. I mean, you mentioned how you were very upfront about... Telling people, it's like, look, I don't want a relationship. Yeah. But it took you a while to actually sort of be that upfront, even if you thought you were being upfront. Right. People find signals that they want to find. Right. Even when you think you're being very good about not giving those signals. Yeah. 
And so you, there's one point where you talk about having to make a very conscious and intentional effort to, as you put it, steer clear of the event horizon of a relationship <laughs> right. while you're casually dating. There's a lot of people you go out with, and it's not like in minute one of day one you have to say, look, we're not going to get married. I'm being very casual because it's a bit presumptuous. Um, and then sometimes you'd date someone for two or three times, and it would peter out from one side or the other. And you didn't really have to have a discussion. It was just sort of clear there wasn't a chance of it being anything. And then after, sometimes you'd date someone enough, and you would realize by the way they were behaving, you're starting to see them more regularly, that I needed to let them know that... I was happy to date them. I liked spending time with them, but it wouldn't be more serious than that. And some people took that well. Some people were like, totally, me too. Some felt misled. And then there was some who said they were okay, and, and it took me a while to figure out that sometimes actions do speak louder than words from both people, that someone says they're okay with it, but at a certain point you have to say, ah, by the, by the way they're behaving and how they're acting towards me, I think they want, you know, they're saying they're okay in the hopes that it will turn into something more, and I just don't think it will. And at that point you kind of, I had, would have to cut off the relationship myself. And this is also going on from, from your end too. Um, you know, one of the first relationships you talk about, you know, you'd gone out a couple of times, you'd had sex a couple of times, and then she's the one who says, you know, I don't really think this is working out. And yeah. There's something I want to say. And, and you're like, well, wait a minute. I'm having fun here. You know, why can't, and, and then when she says, well, we, uh, I think maybe she says something like, well, it would, could, you know, it'd be great if we could just hang out and fool around. And you're like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, sort of shocked because I was getting ready to be up front with her and quote unquote, let her down easy. And she reached out first and said, hey, we got to cool it. Like, I'm a little worried we're getting too attached, and I don't want that. And so uh, we just, from then on, we would every two or three weeks, one of us would text the other and say, hey, you want to hang out this weekend? And we did have a lot of sex, but we would also go to movies and dinner and became a person I liked spending time with, but neither of us wanted to be serious. We even eventually were, like, talking about other dates we were going on and swapping advice. One morning after she'd spent the night, I drove her to a date she had that afternoon. I was like, oh, I'm headed that way. I'll drop you off. She's like, okay, thanks. Yeah, there was a, you know, got about like 10, 15 years ago when I was about that age. It was a situation that we would describe as the guy that you hang out with until you get a boyfriend. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. And it was strangely the most sort of, at the time it felt so adult and honest because we'd had this talk where we were like, this is exactly what we want from each other and we're both happy with that. And so there was no misleading, there's no hurt feelings, there's no jealousy at all. And uh, it was like just a very pure, honest relationship, which compared to some other dating scenarios I'd been in where you're pretending one way or the other that you like or dislike someone more than you do to kind of win their favor, this was just... Very honest and straightforward. It was great. It still took you a fair amount of time, it sounds like, based on the description, to break out of that serial monogamy pattern. That it's like, I mean, you were casually dating, but for a while you were still sort of like casually dating one person at a time. Yeah, and I, you know, I never really got into a mode where I was trying to pick up a, like, I never, you know, in the whole book, I think there's one story about a one-night stand. It was the only one-night stand because my philosophy was, you know, if you like someone, why just see them one time? And so I would go out with these women for a while, and there was, there would be some overlap, but uh, also just, it's, it's a lot of work to date more than one person at once. So I would date one person, and then that would kind of fade away for one reason or the other, and there was, there was some overlap sometimes. But yeah, I, I wasn't trying to juggle five women at once and have a different date every night of the week. One of the other things that you found out about yourself was that you talk about hitting this point where you realized that dating was essentially like a form of validation for you. You know, in dating all these different women going through these sort of like early casual dating stages of relationship, you got to hit that point of like a new woman finding you attractive 
right. over and over and over again. And it was it was an emotionally validating experience for you. Yeah, I was on a date, and I also do live performance storytelling and comedy. And I realized on one of these dates that I was sort of getting the same thrill that I get from stepping on stage with these dates, which is I'm making a stranger laugh. I'm making a stranger like me. And so it just, it, it sort of occurred to me, you know, I think a lot of us have a voice in our head from when we were 16 that no matter how much we grow and success we have and people we date, there's still a part of you that's like, oh, I'm just that loser who couldn't talk to girls and was nervous in high school. And so every time I had a date go well or had sex with a new woman, it was this validation of like, oh, no, you're a cool guy. Look, girls like you. And, and that still felt good. But I also started to recognize that it can become an unhealthy form of validation. You're, you know, in some senses, it feels like you're emotionally using someone. You make them like you and then you move on and that feels unfair. Yeah, we talked about at the beginning, you mentioned that part of your motivation for setting this up was, you know, you had the target of Burning Man being a year away and you were going to go out there and get your freak on and, and, yeah. and go wild. And Burning Man is the halfway point of yeah. the actual memoir. Yeah. Um, so like what you had originally intended as the end point in the story you do end up telling is is in the middle. There's a big part of that that will... will I'll, you know, I'll, I'll sort of like flag and we'll talk to it about in due course. Yeah. Uh, but the other part is that as you're hitting this festival, you're starting to make some key realizations about yourself. Part of it was that you wanted to, you didn't want this to end. Yeah, I came uh, back from Burning Man and I had a really nice experience and a woman I met there. It wasn't quite the sexual bacchanalia I envisioned when I went out there, but I did meet one girl and she came back with me to L.A. And so once she left and went home, you know, my year had passed. I was open to being in a relationship according to my self-contract, but I was doing so well and having so much fun, I kind of decided, like, why why would I stop doing this? And kind of wondered if I'd ever stop, or at least if it would be several years. So I was like, oh, I'll do this till I'm too old to do this, which who knows what that would be. And basically turned out to be a couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, just a couple of months. One of the first people that you met, or at least that you, I shouldn't say met, but when you started online dating, one of the first people that you got in touch with turned out to be... A friend of a friend from college. Yeah. Who knew who you were. Yeah. And it was all like, oh, ha, ha, small world, blah, right. blah, blah. But now, like, you've, you've been through this year of self-discovery. Um, you're still sort of, like, figuring out what you want to do with your life. And Laura, which is the woman's name. Yeah. You know, Laura comes back into your life through your mutual friend. Yeah. Uh, and, and starts joining you at the brunches. And I should mention that the whole time that this is going on, Madison is having, like, weekend brunches with his, his guy buddies regaling them with stories and, and hearing their stories and then like laura comes back and you start recognizing that it's like wow she's pretty cool yeah yeah i uh i just signed up for okcupid and i think it was the fourth or fifth person i messaged was i didn't recognize her when i sent the first message but uh laura had gone to college with me and in college she dated who would later become my best friend who a character in the book named Evan we were emailing back and forth when i first contacted her not recognize her she asked me where i go to school i tell her and she's like oh this is awkward I had a class with your college girlfriend, and you're best friends with my ex-boyfriend. And so we are like, well, obviously we can't date too closely connected. Oh, well. And she ended up telling me some things about her experience on the dating website. That was, it was nice to hear from a woman's point of view what was going on out there. And we became friends. We would see each other occasionally when we were at a mutual friend's party. You know, eventually after Burning Man, I started to feel just worn out by dating. The, the sort of thrill, it, it felt like a magic trick at first, that I could find, meet a stranger and 
you know, make out with her or have sex with her very quickly. Like, that seemed incredible to me. I'd never had that. But eventually that kind of wore off that thrill, and you, you sort of start to feel lonely and want something a little more. And, and around that time, I was seeing her a lot, and I was like, oh, I really want to find someone just like Lauda. It's a shame I can't date her. But eventually that pull was too strong for me <laughs> to resist. Yeah, and you found out that she had, was harboring a crush on you the whole time. Yeah, so, so. yeah, we were kind of like two elementary school kids for about three months. We were <laughs> afraid to tell the other one we like really liked each other. Now I'm gonna skip ahead for everybody here. Um, long story short, they get married. They're very <laughs> they're, they're very happy together. It's been how many years now? Uh, two and a half years. Two and a half years now. Uh, and the reason that I'm skipping ahead is that I want to sort of jump into talking a little bit about. The relationship between that relationship and available. Yeah. Which is that what happens when you tell, I mean, was she still your fiance or your wife at the point where you tell her? It's like, you know, I want to write about that whole like year and a half before we met when I was dating around. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the way this book came to be is I wrote an essay for the New York Times Modern Love Column. Um, the essay ended up becoming the prologue. It's about the breakup that starts the book. And from that, I got an agent and we put together a proposal. So all of that was happening. The, the essay was in the New York Times before we got married. So we were, we, by the way, we ended up getting married after four months of dating. So that's also part of the book. So the essay came out while we were dating, but before we got married and the book sold after we got married. So she knew about the book when we were dating and she's been very supportive the entire time. It was very nerve wracking when she read it, the first draft. And, uh, she would have heard some of these stories like as they were happening, but. It's one thing to sort of hear these things in, like, sort of casual party conversation. It's like, oh, Madison and his crazy dating adventures. Yeah. And then another thing for the manuscript. She knew, she definitely knew I was a slut going into our first date. And she she told me when we were hanging out one night that she didn't do casual dating. And so I I had to assure her that I could do non-casual dating. I could be serious. um, And I did finally convince her. But, you know, we all, we all know our exes have a, or our current loves have exes and have a past, but, you know, very few of us have to read about it in detail for 250 pages. My hat is off to my wife for not divorcing me after she read the book. So she's okay with it. But, you know, the other flip side of, of writing this memoir is that, you know, pretty much have to go back to everyone else and say, like, okay, remember how we, you know, we were going out during that whole period? <laughs> I'm writing a memoir about that. Uh, how do you want to handle this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, all the names and details have been changed, so no one's traceable. So we will we will see as people read it what they, they actually feel about uh, what's in the book. And a lot of the people I date, you know, is just someone I met online. There's only two people in the world, me and her, that will even know. It's about them. So uh, to be determined if I have dog poop being mailed to me or <laughs> death threats, I hope not. I, I tried to, you know, most of the stories are not, oh my gosh, this cr- I dated this crazy person. There's a couple dozen, but most of them are about what I learned and how mm-hmm. I screwed up. And uh, I tried to be um, not unnecessarily mean, to be to be kind, because mostly I, I have fond memories with these uh, women I went out with. Yeah, and I think that's a key thing. You know, trying to tell stories like this, I mean, obviously a memoir is very much grounded in your perspective. Yeah. But particularly if you're going to talk about a lot of relationships like this, as you do in Available, you know, you really sort of have to, you know, boost up the empathy in order for all of these women not simply to be sort of like, you know, props in the, you know, know, my journey of of emotional discovery story. 
Well, and I think what really helped is I because through storytelling, I know what voice works with the crowd for me. And angry and mean does not work for me. There's some comics that they can work angry and mean. It's hilarious. I'm not one of those comics. I need to kind of be self-effacing and empathetic and thoughtful about things and, and find the humor there. Um, so I tried to take that point of view. And the other thing that helped is my, my agent is a woman. And so she would let me know when I was being a douchebag in the book. <laughs> we would rework it. Not that you would change the story but think about it from the other person's point of view and you know oh, okay i could see how that would be taken the wrong way by uh, a woman this specific woman or any woman and let's think about how this felt to her as well right and it's not like you can change what happened right. but you can at least change how you frame it and how you sort of present your perspective on right on what you were doing and, and what she was doing yeah i tried to whenever possible make the story i was telling my story not not that i was telling someone else's story you know, I can poke fun at myself all I want, but I didn't particularly want to make fun of uh, other people when I could help it. Yeah, you joked about how you know you got the perfect ending for the book even while you were writing the proposal. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I mean, it does create a much different scenario than say, like if you had gone through this process and the book was coming out and it was like, and look what I've learned, and here I am, I'm available. Yeah, yeah. I know. There's a version of the book. It ends with me being like, I'm good at getting girls, which. <laughs> I don't think it would be very satisfying uh, for the reader. You know, I think the, the, tr the truth is you become dissatisfied with dating like that. Uh, you know, they're, they're shallow connections, and that gets, you know, there's fun things about that, but it really does get lonely. Yeah, it's interesting as you frame it that way. That the, uh, as soon as you said it, that I'm good at getting girls, I was thinking of, like, you know, the game. You know, that whole genre of books about how to get good at getting girls and right you know even neil strauss who wrote the game has turned around and said wow that was kind of emotionally unfulfilling <laughs> his his book uh i've read and I, I really enjoyed and i think sometimes gets a bad rap because if you read the whole book you realize in the end he says well i'm good at getting girls and going on about five dates and then i run out of tricks and they don't know who the real me is and that's sort of the moral of that book and so i, I kept that in mind and really a very similar thing happened to me i wasn't really using pickup artist tricks and this book isn't at all prescriptive it's just about my experiences. But you realize that just being a confident person that is enjoyable to be around, there's not really a trick to it, you can become pretty good at dating. And the problem is that as, as soon as you become good at it, you realize that it's not really anything special. Um, and hopefully you've improved. You know, I, I do think I became a more confident person in general, and I learned how to be more respectful of people and how to be more honest. So that was all much more valuable than being able to, quote unquote, get a girl. The, the plan, in the end, it didn't work quite how I thought it would, but it really worked is it allowed me to be single, to totally reset how I thought about dating and myself and what kind of relationship I wanted. And so when my wife came along, I was really, truly ready to commit to her and excited to be in a relationship. Whereas in the past, I felt like I had gotten into relationships out of fear of being alone. And in the year and a half, I really learned, like, I'm fine being alone. There's people out there I can date. And, I'll, you know, I'm not going to die alone. I know that. I can go out into the world. There's plenty of people. And so when it transferred from a fear to, you know, a desire to be with someone, it was a really strong feeling. Like, if the two of you, at that point, when you first found each other on OkCupid, okay if after you had both sort of, like, laughed it off and said, like, well, what the hell? Let's go out. Yeah. Probably would have had a much different outcome because you hadn't been through that voyage yet. You know, there's the romantic part of you who wants to say, hey, it's, it was meant to be no matter when we met. But I really don't think I would have been ready to behave the way I needed to to prove to her that I was the right partner for her at that point. I do think a big part of timing is both parties being ready uh, for that. 
Yeah, and you also had another example in uh, that happened, I, I guess, probably a little bit after that, dating a friend of a friend, where it's like, if that blows up... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I dated a girl in my social group, and it was right when I started being single, and I was really dedicated to it. I met this girl. She was great. Like, we'd hang out a lot, and I, I really liked her a lot. And so we started dating, and uh, it moved quickly emotionally. Even though we'd only been on three dates, we were texting and calling a lot. And, you know, I finally told her I'm not interested. Well, I told her because she heard me on a podcast talking about how I wasn't going to be anyone's boyfriend for a year. And this was before I met her, so I wasn't totally callous, but mm-hmm. she understood where I was before I told her explicitly because we'd only been on three dates and hadn't had sex. And so her feelings were hurt and it, uh, yeah, it made it a bit awkward for our mutual friend for quite a while. So after that, I, I sort of made a vow to only date strangers I met online or in bars or parties. And I pretty much stuck with that until my wife. And then we, we gave it about a good three months of not dating, of just being friends. And before we broke it to our mutual best friend that we really liked each other and wanted to give it a serious go. I remember he joked, he said something like, okay, you guys can date as long as you promise to get married and never break up. And I was like, you know, oh, ha ha, I promise. And uh, four months later we were married, so uh, it actually worked out well for everyone. It's really nice to marry, uh, have a mutual best friend when you get married to your wife, because when he comes over, it's not like, oh, your friend's coming over again. It's like, ah, our friend is coming over. So you've got a memoir, you, you're, you, you've got a great marriage, so where do you go from here? Oh, I am uh, working on adapting the memoir into a movie. I've, I've written a couple scripts that have unfortunately not been made yet, but uh, I do have experience writing screenplays, so I'm working on the adaptation of this book. The movie process takes a really long time, and no guarantees, so who knows if it'll ever come out, but there's some exciting prospects on that front, and uh, hopefully I'd like to write a novel next. Uh, once the, the press and this book being out is done, I'll dig in on that. Uh, keep writing. You know, I love uh, I love the process of writing this book and working with Scribner's and my editor, and so I hope uh, that's what I'm able to do the rest of my life. Well, that's something to look forward to, and it sounds like you will have a very supportive wife uh, helping you along <laughs> will, the way while you're I doing that. that. I have been talking with Madison Perry about his memoir, Available. It's a memoir of heartbreak, hookups, love, and brunch. It's just out from Scribner, as he mentioned. And I'm Ron Hogan, and you've been listening to Lifestyle. Stories. And if you've enjoyed it, I hope you might go on to iTunes and give it a bunch of stars and maybe a nice review and tell everybody else, you know, to, to come and listen to it as well. Thanks a so bunch and have a great day. Take care.